0: photographer went around the world, different nations, and he asked people to uh, put all their possessions out of their house onto their driveway, on their roofs, or in their yards, and uh, to show uh, in in a pictorial way uh, how we relate to our possessions uh, around the world and how it's different in different cultures. And uh, it's very interesting to to see those pictures, and especially when we're um, talking about this question, what is enough? And what is enough for us here in this country. I, I, I want to uh, read from Genesis chapter 12 to you, and, and I just want to read, uh, it's the call of Abram. And, and, and as you listen to this call of Abram, I don't want you to be thinking about so much as to why Abram was chosen, but instead I'd like you to think about what for. What was he chosen for? that's a lot of times where the word bless or blessing shows up. What in the world does that word mean? I mean, you hear it used all the time in, in churchy circles. And it's kind of become a churchy word. And sometimes when we get churchy words, we forget what their real meaning are. And, and so, uh, you know, if, if I think about it, um, you know, some of you know my name, Shannon McCready. I mean, that's kind of a Scotch-Irish name. And if you were to ask some of my ancestors about what blessed meant, they, they might say something like, uh, well, that one there? Yes, he lives a charmed life for sure. Yes. And they would say, uh, a, a charmed life. Uh, someone who had everything go their way, uh, things just fell in place, uh, attributing to, to luck. Uh, sometimes we might, if we're, if we're talking about blessed, uh, we might think of somebody with a, a really great, Personality, and how they're just able to make friends everywhere they go. Uh, whether it's the CEO of a great company or, or the, the beggar on the street, they're just making friends. And because of that, doors and opportunities open for them that just don't open for the rest of us. And we go, that person is blessed. And we might say uh, maybe with people that uh, maybe have some things that we want, have some stuff, and it just seems like it falls into their lap uh, it's easy for them to, to uh, create wealth and, and to purchase things and, and it's kind of like, hmm, I wish I had some of those things. And we'll say, oh, that person's blessed. And then, you know, there might be just a whole thing of, of someone uh, who's very talented. Uh, They've got great abilities and, and we just see them use their abilities and they seem to be able to use them in such a way that's powerful and it and, and affects people. And, uh, and we just go, that person is blessed. Well, when, when you look in the Bible, bless it may touch on some of those things, but really, uh, when you look at how Jesus used the word, and you look in uh, the Sermon on the Mount where he's saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek." That word there, what how he's using it means happy, it means happy. Happy are those. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. And I think it touches on this idea of someone who has a great soul contentment. And it's something about being satisfied with God. Satisfied with Christ and what he's done and what he's given. And I want to show you with Abraham and through others in the scriptures how I really believe that this is a mark on his people and it plays out in in God's story. And as God's story plays out, we see these people who are marked with this contentment and they know what to do with what God gives them. So right here with Abram is the beginning of God's mission to bring salvation and restore relationship with mankind. I mean, these promised descendants that God speaks of to Abraham are are the people. They're the nation. They're they're, they're the ones that, that Jesus is going to be born into. Jesus is the blessing that goes to all people on earth. So from the start of enacting his mission with Abram, all the way to the crux of the mission with Jesus at the cross, there is this characteristic that marks every point along the way. In God's mission, in his story, God blesses so that the blessing can be passed on to others. Abram was blessed so that he could bless others. Now, this is a big point, and I want us to get this. So I'd like you to repeat this after me. I'm going to say, Abram was blessed, and then you say, so he could bless others. All right? So let's try it. Abram was blessed. Try it one more time. Abram was blessed. All right, that's good. Now this is going to come back around, and we're going to remember that, okay? But we're going to move on from there. And and also I want to say the one that Abram's life points to, Christ, when we look at Jesus, fully God and fully human, full of grace and truth, he was blessed so that he could bless many. And he did that through the cross. Now, if this is the characteristic of God's mission and his story, and you've you've been invited into this mission and into this story to be a part of it, you're going to find that your life is to take on this same characteristic. If God in Christ blesses you, the blessing is not for you alone. You are to be a blessing to others. If that is the case, then I would say that this affects our part in this story in, in, in several related areas. And three of those related areas I, I just want to open up and let's talk about. And, and I believe one of those areas that's affected is, is our, area as, our area as an owner, as a giver, and the area as, as being a contented Christ follower. You know, if God has blessed us so that we could bless others, and this is to be the nature of our role in his story, then we need to know how to view ownership yeah, just do a, a brief scan of the scriptures here, starting with Adam and Eve. When you go back to the Genesis account, we're told that God places Adam and Eve in this amazing garden to work it and to care for it. God gives them the blessing of this beautiful place, a beautiful place of living in this garden. And, and he made, made it so that there's this expectation that Adam and Eve will take responsibility for it work it, and care for it. Fast forward to the kingdom that that God helped King David establish. Through God, given David victory through battles, he amasses this large amount of, of gold and silver, which then David, in turn, gives to the building of the temple. And after a collection of gifts is freely given by all the families of Israel, David calls all the people together to thank God for the amazing giving that has occurred. And listen to David's prayer and what it reveals. He says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Psalm 24 confirms this view that David has in his prayer. And and it's even more inclusive. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Then when you go to the prophets, they affirm this, that it's not only possessions and things that belong to God, but our very souls belong to him. Repeating God's words, uh, Ezekiel says this, For every living soul belongs to me. You kind of get the feeling here that it's similar to when you were a kid at Christmas time. I don't know if you ever remember this point in your life of, of maybe kind of thinking in your head, well, you know what, my mom and dad make me so happy at Christmas time. I want to make them happy. And so as a little kid, you get this idea in your head that I'm going to get my mom and dad a gift. And, and, but you don't have any money. And you don't have any stuff. And, and there's a certain thing you have in mind. You don't have the stuff to make it or you, don't have, you can't buy it. And so what do you do? You go to your dad or you go to your mom and you say, can I have some money? And then they, say, well, what for? Because I want to get you a gift for Christmas. And they're like, okay. And your dad or your mom gives you the money and you go off and do it. And isn't that what we're kind of seeing here in the scriptures? Is that it all belongs to him. It all belongs to God. And, and, and what we give to him was really his in the first place. And really that's, that's what we come to in the story of God when we look at the, the first Christ followers in the Jerusalem church. It says this, it says that no one claimed his possessions was his own, but shared everything that they had. You see, this is the attitude and the perspective we're to have with what God has given us. You know, the popular word to describe this view today is called stewardship. But today I'm holding on to the word ownership to remind us of a distinction. And I think sometimes stewardship in our brain, we, we don't quite connect with that word because that's more of a word that worked with uh, kings and queens and courts and kingdoms. You know, the king and queen would assign the steward and he would kind of run the kingdom and, and take care of their things while they did all the, the fun stuff. And, and, and so we, we kind of, instead of maybe having a proper atti- a thought of what stewardship means, we take on the attitude of renters. You know, someone rents a car, drives it real hard, trashes it, throws all the junk food and your trash in the back, and then you're kind of like, you know what? Somebody else will clean this up. It's a rental. It's not mine. Someone will take care of it. It's, it's, it's you know, someone will do the maintenance on it. They'll do the repairs. Or it's, it's kind of like when someone rents an apartment or a house, and, and they don't give proper maintenance to it because, well, hey, it's not mine. Someone else owns this house, and it's their responsibility, and so they'll maintain it. They'll do the repairs. They'll do what needs to be done to maintain it. But you know what? God indicates that it's different with him and the things that he gives us that are really his. He says that with the gifts that are his and that he entrusts to us that we have responsibility over them. We have responsibility over them. In two different teaching parables, Jesus says that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. That that saying that we'll we'll give an account for the things that are really God's that He entrusted to us. We have responsibility. The scripture says that God holds us responsible not just for possessions, but for our words, for our actions, and, and our talents, our abilities. That he has given us. So I'm not sure how the words renter and owner work in your mind, but we need to know that the things that we've been given belong to God. He's the owner, and we're we're kind of the renter, but in a sense, we need to live as as if we are the owners, responsible for these gifts. So I, I guess that would be the definition of stewardship, but I say ownership just so that we can make sure we got it here in our American context. You know, if we recognize our part in God's story includes us learning how to be a blessing to others, then this is going to affect us in the area of our life as a giver, not just an owner. And here's the connection between giver and owner and why I'm using the word ownership today. You can't really give something that doesn't belong to you. It, this may have happened to you with, if you have small children in your house and there's a birthday or something like that, and, and one of your kids goes and takes a sibling's toy and wraps it up and then gives it away to someone else, that, that isn't, that's not a happy thing in the house when that happens. And, and we kind of frown upon that as parents. You know? But you can't do that in real life either. You know? Some people would like to use this, the, the verse in Acts chapter 2 you know, where they shared everything in, in common to kind of support a Marxist view But you have to remember that the verse in Acts chapter 4 that follows it says, from time to time, those who owned stuff, they sold their stuff. And they brought it to the leaders of the church, and they laid it down, and then it was distributed. See, their giving wasn't forced by the state, by the government leaders. Their giving wasn't forced by the church leadership. It was done out of a willing heart. Because of their ownership of stuff, they knew that they had responsibility of the things that God had given them. They were able to be givers. Go, God, this is your stuff. I trust you in this. Now, now don't you love it, though? Don't you love it when people have all kinds of suggestions about what should be done with other people's stuff, but never look at their own stuff as potential for blessing others? I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that attitude going on in our country right now. Do you remember the story of King David when a, a plague was hitting the Jerusalem area? David begged for mercy from God, and, and God told him, okay, well, then I, I, if you want mercy here, I want you to make a sacrifice, and I want you to do it at this certain spot. So David goes out with his whole entourage of, of, of his people, and, and he approaches this spot. And, and the man who a- actually owns this land uh, is out there working it with his oxen. And when he sees King David come, uh, he he looks at him and and he gets wind of what King David wants to do. And this man says, you know what? I'll give you this land and I'll even give you the oxen and and the, the plow and you can build an altar right here and make sacrifice right now. And what does David say? He says, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You know, David buys everything, makes the sacrifice, and the plague is stopped. And and so it just begs the question here: Does our giving reflect that kind of attitude, or or the opposite of David's statement? You know, as a giver, do you and I look for ways to give so it doesn't really cost us? You know, let someone else swallow the cost seems to be the strategy that we work with in our business culture it seems to bleed over in other areas of life. Yet one of the marks of a gift from God is that it's sacrificial. I mean, what type of love God demonstrated for us at the cross It was a sacrificial love, a costly gift that blessed many. And with, if we have a desire to be a blessing to others, We need to stop thinking of how we can avoid it costing us and start swallowing the fact that if we want to bless many, it's going to be a sacrifice. It will be sacrificial. When we look at our our role as a giver and we factor cost and sacrifice in, we start to uncover our motives of why we give. You know, are, are we angry and resentful when we give? Why is that? Is it maybe for some reason that, that we feel forced to give? As if we're giving under compulsion and someone's twisting our arm or we feel like I mean, do we feel that way about God? That He's twisting our arm? Are you a miserable giver? I mean then maybe you're giving out of guilt instead of joy. You know, maybe you're a fearful giver. Maybe your, your trust in God has shrunk. And instead of being full of faith that God cares for you, that he knows your needs, and that, that he will look after you, you, you have fear instead. Or maybe, as a fearful giver, maybe it means the love is all dried up. There's no love in it anymore. What, what does 1 John tell us? perfect love casts out all fear. Yeah. So sometimes looking at our heart and what's going on there with giving really gives us a window of maybe how things are with us and our relationship with God. I mean, Jesus talked about, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's something we we really want to deny and say, oh, that can't be true. Jesus knows us. Here's one more thought on being a giver. Giving is different than paying. It's a real simple distinction, but I, I, we get it confused in this country. I, we really do. I mean, when you pay someone, it's because you owe them something, right? It's a transaction. It's an exchange. You know, they, they made a product or they made a service, and then you, you pay for that service or that product that you received. You know, a gift is not that way at all. And especially a gift in a biblical sense, you know, with the word charis or, or grace, which means gift, it's, it's, it's a one-way kind of deal. A gift is given. It's not paid for because it's free. No gift in return. No payment is expected back. As a giver, are you really given a gift are you expecting a payment in return? If so... You're not gift-giving. You're making a business deal. And have you been doing this with God? Been trying to do a business deal with Him? What about the people around you? Is that what you're doing? If, it's, if you always feel obligated because someone did something nice for you, oh, well, now I must do something nice in return, then you're really kind of Kicking dirt on their gift, aren't, aren't you? Because you're saying you owe them. You feel indebted. That's not the nature of, of giving. It's not the nature of grace. It's not the nature of this whole mark of being blessed and blessing others. It's not a business deal. You know, if if you approach it that way, like a business deal, you're really going to end up disappointed in God and really disappointed with the people around you. You know, I, I've talked with people that, that really, they, they kind of had this idea that, you know, if, if I give to you, God, that you're gonna give back to me. Doesn't it say that somewhere in the Bible? And, and so they, they, they do this and they think that there's gonna be, if they give financially, then God will bless them back financially. And then what happens? Hard times hit, car breaks down, Refrigerator breaks, water heater leaks. And who are they mad at? I'm mad at you, God. I I gave. And you didn't give to me. You owe me God. It's entitlement. That's what that is. But God isn't a vending machine. He's a being that we have a relationship with. You don't put a quarter in and then go, oh, now I get this. And it's changed. And it's a business deal. It's not that way. What God wants is a relationship. He initiated it with a gift. The gift of Christ. You know when the first Christ followers gave, the scripture said that they laid down their gifts. When you give what you have, you got to lay it down no strings attached no strings attached or it's not really a gift you're not really giving you're paying you're making an exchange i think sometimes we get screwed up on being givers with one or two extremes you know either we hold out and don't ever learn to give sacrificially or we do this business deal and turn giving into pain. You know, the, I, I think sometimes where that happens is, is this passage in Malachi that gets messed up. You know, God tells the people, you've been robbing me of tithes and offerings, not bringing all of the tithe. And when they say tithe, that's not a synonym for offering. Uh, a tithe really was 10%, literally. That's what it meant. And, and so uh, it says, you're robbing me because you're not bringing the whole tithe. You're not bringing the whole 10% to the temple storehouse. And then God challenges them. He says, You know, challenge, I, I want to challenge you. Give to me. Bring the whole thing into the temple storehouse and test me. And he, sa- he says to them, I, I, will, I will show you blessing on your life when you do this. Now, these are words straight from God. And, and it's still a valid test today to learn to trust God in giving sacrificially. But it's about giving, not about setting up a payment exchange plan with God. Right? I know it's it's hard for us to separate that in our minds. It's hard for us to not calculate. You know, I had a friend once who had held back on giving a tithe from his income for a couple of years. And he read this passage in, in Malachi. And he really was convicted. He felt like he had been robbing God. So he went out and he took a loan to give his tithe for the past two years to the, to the place he was worshiping. You know, that's one of those things where I kind of scratch my head and go, I don't know about that. What? You know, I, I think, I, you know, I was shocked when he told me. And, and when, when I thought about, you know, it was like, well, you know, yeah, my friend takes seriously his responsibility of what, what God has given him. And, and I know that this friend, he really desires to be obedient to what God told him to do. But, I, you know, I still kind of wonder about it, you know, and, and it was still a question in my head was, was this something really that was from his heart and was a, you know, I, no strings attached. I'm just giving you God what really belongs to you. Or was it a, a pay payment system and and for me you you can't go there you can't judge that only God knows and that's the same with you and me you know we we can't judge other people and how they give or don't give that's something between you and God and only you and him know what what's real what's going on what's authentic so God knows our hearts in this You know, I know some people consider giving a tithe as something really legal-like, associated with the law of God. And it was associated for Jewish people with the law. And, And the tithe, when it was brought in, it was helped to run the temple system, which brought honor to God. And it was a good thing. But the tithe was not just a legal thing for Jewish people. It was actually something that was practiced before the law of Moses. If you look in the scriptures, Abraham gave a tithe to God. And Jacob gave a tithe to God before there was anything ever called the law. So that, that was not something legal that they had to do. It was, it was something that was from a willing heart that came out of them. And, and it really came from this idea, a concept that was among a lot of people, not just Jewish people at the time, that the idea that you gave to God the best of the first rewards of your work. And so for many people in that agric- agricultural Uh, system you know it it was the best of their the first of their harvest whatever came from their fields and their orchards and their gardens and and so it was it was called the first fruits and it was just an acknowledgement that everything belongs to God already and what you have is a blessing from him and and so I guess there's a question for us today If if a tithe once helped supply the temple and its purposes to glorify God, then what is it for us today if we are now the temple? Isn't that what the scriptures say? That we're the temple that houses the Holy Spirit? And so if that's the case, how does that affect giving? Well, I suppose, and you know, and this is just, just me thinking. But I, I wonder, it's about these temples here. And are we set? Are we set on honoring God with our very lives and with everything we have? And if that's the case, then what is it that we could do together that we couldn't do on our own to honor God and to bless Him? and to forward that mission, his mission, to reconcile all mankind back to himself through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to be about. I want everything I am and everything I have to go towards that mission, his mission. And I'm excited to be a part of this church, a church that really is doing that. And I believe there are many of you who are doing that. And I just want to invite more of you into it. You know, the last area that's affected if, if we really desire to emulate this blessing others is our role as a contented Christ follower. I started at the beginning of, of kind of talking about how this is possibly connected to this idea of blessed. That there's a contentment, there's a happiness that comes from God. It, there's... There's a final passage I want to share with you. It's from the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's thanking the Christ followers in Philippi for what they gave towards his needs. And, and Paul says this to, to the, the people in, in, in Philippi. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to, be in, to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a little bit different than how the athletes use that verse, isn't it? It's not that they can't use it that way. But I'm just saying, in the context of this, it takes strength to live in contentment. It takes the strength of Christ to learn this secret of contentment. Have you learned this secret? Have you realized the truth about your human nature when you say, you know what? I just need this one more thing, and that's it. I'm content. I don't want anything else. And then what happens when you get that one thing? Well, I I just want this one other thing, and then really that's it. That's it. And that's the way we work, isn't it? Have you recognized that yet? Have you acknowledged that that's what's in us? That's part of our human fallen nature. You, You need to recognize it. You need to admit it because it's going to take the strength of Christ... To get to a place where you can say, I'm content. It's okay, Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't need any more. You know, as a Christ follower, you're going to have to ask yourself this question back here. What is enough? Is Jesus really enough? I mean, if strip away all your possessions. Strip away everything, uh, abilities and talents. Is Jesus enough? enough? And, and I I don't want you to ask this question in some theoretical way. I really want you to ask it in a practical way too. I mean, really what, what is enough? Your annual income. When are you going to stop? You know, how long are you going to keep climbing the ladder and trying to do more? When is it enough as far as the bigger and better house and the more luxurious items in your house? When is it that you finally say, you know what, this is enough. I'm content with this. And you tell that to God. And then you say to God, You know what, God, this is it. And anything beyond this threshold, I just want to go towards your mission and what you're doing. I want to be all about it. It's time it really is time for us to ask this question. I know that you'll be challenged on it, and you will need Christ's strength to do it. Now I want to hearken back to what we said about Abraham. Said Abraham was blessed so that he could bless others. And I want to take Abraham's name out of there. I don't want to put us in there. So here's the statement I have been blessed. If you're in Christ, you have been blessed. You have every spiritual blessing, Ephesians chapter 1 says. It's out there. It's offered for you. I have been blessed so that I can bless others. All right, and so we got to say this out loud. we got to get it in our head, all right? So I'll say the first part. I have been blessed so that I can bless others. I'll do it one more time. I have been blessed so I can bless others. Yeah. That's the nature of how God's working, how he works.